Blog Talk Radio. through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
grandfather and your white great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather and your white grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. The black. 
the books and understood that America's no damn good. I ain't the hero, I warned ya. That it was coming, I gave you the message when the fucking drummer was drumming. The end is here for big and small. Mother Africa's final call, because. Ego strengths employed specifically to counter perceived threats. 
Implicit encountering perceived threats by some people is the role of deception, unconscious and conscious, which serves the interest of protecting fragile egos that otherwise would expose self-serving perceptions, casting, casting into doubt rationales employed to blunt information that may call into question dubious and or questionable belief systems. Capitalism's appeal owes much to unconscious bias, but the innovation of employing systematic deception or ritualized lying on a global and national scale is something to behold conceptually. In the U.S., the level of deception not only confounds, but is intricately layered to provide plausible deniability. Recently, the Bank of America officials stated the recessions slated for this year will result the Federal Reserve not doing enough to stop it. The reality is, recession is the direct result of Federal Reserve policy that provided liquidity to banks like the Bank of America. With large infusions of cash, Bank of America was able to acquire and purchase large volumes of property while lending to the wealthy at near zero interest rates. Consequently, by Federal Reserve pumping large amounts of credit into the system, asset prices, including single homes, increased in value, far beyond the ability of most people to afford the manipulated value of housing. Now, manipulation of housing costs was so effective, it spurred additional investments called subprime, in which Bank of America, along with other banks, sold overvalued assets costing more than a financial system could accommodate or repay. By early 2008, $11 trillion in global wealth was destroyed, culminating in 2009 to $61 trillion. One would think the honorable course of action by the Bank of America would be to decline government financial assistance under the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, given the level of duplicity employed by the Bank of America. That assumption would be wrong. The same bank that was instrumental in creating recession in 2008 by selling worthless financial instruments is again engaging in similar financial behavior in the year 2020. Under the Community Affordable Loan Solution, Bank of America is steering minority applicants with up to $10,000 for down payments to purchase homes in specific areas, specific areas where market forces will hold down the value of these homes, which minimize potential financial losses for the Bank of America. Just how would this, this program contribute to recession? Currently, U.S. housing market is experiencing a decline in part because supply is greater than demand. And as a consequence, $1.37 trillion in mortgage holders' equity has disappeared. The key for Bank of America is to limit rising equity in the houses sold minorities, increasing Bank of America profits while contributing to the overall downturn and foreclosed homes, <coughs> assuming the economy remains flat and inevitability giving the looming recession of this according to Bank of America reports. Now, capitalism dishonesty cannot be separated from the goal of wealth attainment. Plan obsolescence or creating the best possible scenario to prosper is not alien to capitalism. Andrew Henderson's nomad capitalist postulated the $25 trillion in retirement fund is a tempting target for banks, and gaining access to these funds has to employ a level of guile and ruthlessness few would promote themselves as such. For the small cadre of fanatical-driven capitalists, their motivation underscores the pervasive truth of the inefficiency of capitalism and the very deleterious impact on U.S. financial institutions. For example, according to the Federal Deposit Insurance Company, the FDIC, money set aside to insure clients' deposits only contains about $200 billion in assets. Weighed against $9 trillion in potential liabilities, this means less than 2% of clients and their money is insured. 
In the evidence banks report, 90% of the positives money will be gone. Legally, there's nothing that can be done. The $200,000 coverage we were assured would be, would be, would be protected by, <coughs> by the FDIC policy it turns out to be smoke and mirrors. And the FDIC commissioners are all too, too happy to remind each other the game perpetuated against the masses is best perpetuated with the consent of the wealthy, creating the ultimate conditions to deceive the masses of people. Now, in speaking about the precarious nature of banks throughout the world, a new term, bail-in, is making a revival, and the implication is ominous. Bail-in, opposite the bail-out, establish a legal precedent where banks can confiscate depositors' accounts using the money to plug the bank's financial deficits, and, 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 and it's all legal. Under Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Act, Section 1075, and Section 920 on the Electronic Fund Transfer Act, the act seeks to improve financial systemic stability, improve policy options for coping with financial firms, and protect investors, not the depositors. In legitimizing funds removed from personal accounts, borrowing funds taken for other debt, like credit card debts or auto loan debts, the authority to remove funds on the Electronic Fund Transfer Act was transferred from the Federal Reserve Board under the auspices of the Consumer Financial Protection Board, the CFPB. Implication being, by transferring the bank's, the bank's right to remove personal funds under CFPB, such action is tantamount to the interest of the bank stability, which is an interest to all consumers. I am sure the depositors who angrily convened at the Bank of America to retrieve their funds would disagree vehemently. There is no question many large U.S. banks are insolvent. Attempts to infuse large banks with credit have resulted in unintended consequences like high inflation and recession. Recent government spending bill of $1.7 trillion included a revision where 18 to 15 million of the most vulnerable people will lose Medicare assistance under the guise banks' profits will be better realized as, as the level of pre-approved cards decline, freeing space for more worthwhile investment for banks. If history is any indication, the illiquidity of U.S. banks has nothing to do with demonizing the abject poor, but everything to do with a system that disadvantages a small, that advantages a small group of people whose interest lies not in expanding the economy, but curtailing economic growth to maximize power and influence, which in itself leads to poor economic growth and recession. And this is the irony that we're confronted with, Brother Africa. So when we talk about the propensity to lie in terms of capitalism, we will understand that it serves much broader interests, and we have to begin to understand, you know, that we got no other recourse but to understand clearly the implications of, you know, capitalist policy as it exists in the United States and throughout the world. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we bring in Brother Anthony, organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And going from Brother Anthony, we're going to bring you Brother Moses, the representative of the D.C. Metro Coalition, in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. 
Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and revolutionary greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A, yes. And the struggle is to continue to be to unite the many to defeat the few. We have many, many, many contradictions. There are many pieces to the puzzle, but it's up to us as scientists and as revolutionary political scientists. We should be able to put together the puzzle and see the whole picture and, re- and not just get caught up in the pieces. Um, this is the struggle. But as Brother Haki would say, we have to unravel the maze. And thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses to Sister Eleanor, we welcome you to Africa on Move, as well as you also a member of DC Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Oh, good evening, um, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and to our listening audience here in the United States and abroad. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's program. And yes, I am a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Uh, we uh, tentatively have an activity planned for March uh, 25th, uh, 2023, uh, at uh, St. Stephen's Church. Um, I'm sure that uh, we'll be able to share more of that information with our listeners uh, in the upcoming uh, week. I am also an environmentalist and an artist and uh, uh, advocate, human rights advocate. And uh, as we can see, uh, this last week, um, the suffering that Mother Earth and, uh, is experiencing, uh, the struggle in the Congo, uh, also the U.S. Uh, had uh, um, its uh, drone strikes in Somalia, the Israeli attack on the Palestinians, and uh, the continued militarization of the police in the United States. So with that in mind, I'm looking forward to an exciting show this evening. And thank you very much for having me, and good evening to all, to you, Brother Africa, and all the panelists. Thank you again for allowing me to participate. 
Uh, good evening to you, Sister Eleanor. Also, we have Carl, your last four numbers, 1022. You can identify yourself if you'd like to walk here as well to Africa or the Moon. Carl, 1022. Welcome to Africa or the Moon. Okay, I guess Carlos is going to when you talk right now. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick well, culture break, and when we come back, we're going to invite you to call in at 323-679-0841 and discuss with us what's going on in your world and the community. This is the 19th day of February, the continuation of the so-called African History Month, and we're going to discuss some history in the context of and I've seen today the West has no respect for African African people. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa from Africa on the Moon. When I dropped the mic, it hit the floor like Thor. That's right. You can't pick it up no more. Don't even try. Y'all know what it is. Get smart for the shit start, before it get dark, before they hit you with the pitchfork. Better crib walk, crib this walk. is real talk. Smoke push and push, then we peel off. Niggas still rolling with the wheels off. Always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross. Always winning, nigga get lost. It's the warlord, bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you, that leave that boy alone, like home alone, yeah. fuck a skull and bone, arrest the president, you got the evidence, that nigga is Russian intelligence, when it rains it pours, did you know the new bike was orange, boy, you're showing your horns, they trying to replace my halo with thorns, you so basic with your bait sticks, let's go ape shit in the matrix, arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence I took back my eyes, and all black tonight That's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice Not a criminal, No, I'm a seminal yeah. I was free once, now I'm clinical You so technical, this was Mexico Now everywhere I go is owned by Mexico Fuck them, fuck them and the rest Hell of you yeah. I turn a fool to a bat hop I'm a roll with the aliens Man, fuck these homo sapiens They don't really wanna make friends All they want is a Mercedes Benz All they want is they dividends And decibels Fuck these citizens They'll treat us like hooligans Throw him in, they don't care what school he in These people don't play fair It ain't even fair at the state fair Give a young nigga gray hair That's why I'm here Make your ass lay there you better stay there Close your fucking eyes like a daycare Make myself clear than Shakespeare I'm here to take money, even fake hair So desperate is what I'm left with For the record, you affected Who you elected It's so septic, so full of shit I can't accept it Arrest the president, arrest the president Arrest the president, you got the evidence Arrest the president, arrest the president Arrest the president, you got the evidence Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence, arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. I resign 
right on the west side. West side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. Yeah. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. Damn. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. Yeah. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Yeah. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence.
We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. I'm your host, Brother Africa. As we sit in the seat, we're going to take the heat. So we're going to define it and stand behind it. We may not give you what you want, but we dash over to our best to give you what you need. We will speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. And we want to provide you with information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. That's to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. At this particular time, we'd like to invite you to come and join us as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. We'll start off with Brother Haki. We'll bring him back in. And Brother Haki, talk to our people. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? Well, Brother Africa, I got to talk a little bit about the S-word, uh, sanctions. Uh, you know, we hear a lot about sanctions. Often the way uh, the U.S. media presents sanctions, you would think that sanctions is such a grand idea that certainly it would make sense for the U.S. Con- to continue to engage in sanctions. But the reality is something quite different, uh, which is normally, which is usually the case. Uh, sanctions are very, very counterproductive, but nonetheless, it seems that the only option the U.S. has available in terms of at least trying you know, to bring forth or to sustain, you know, imperialism throughout the world. But in any event, Brother Africa, <coughs> I want you to check this out. Now, the U.S. desire to inflict pain and suffering on the populations of foreign countries to serve U.S. foreign policy objectives have never succeeded in co- compelling foreign leaders to embrace political economic subjugation and benefit the U.S. imperial objectives. In fact, U.S. sanctions historically and currently have been counterproductive instead facilitating inflation while fomenting unemployment directly impacting U.S. government's ability to raise needed revenues for both infrastructure, innovations, and repairs vital to long-term economic growth. Research established by the Institute for International Economics as far back as the 1980s revealed U.S. sanctions had positive outcomes in fewer than one in five attempts. And despite these abysmal outcomes, sanctions continue to be the mainstay in U.S. foreign policy, despite the devastation bestowed on the on the domestic U.S. economy in terms of unemployment, declining wages, and and inflation levels, which complicates economic efficiency. Ironically, the very premise of U.S. sanctions is to retard bilateral trade flows, increasing poverty among designated states by denying such states access to trade. Denial of trade may be augmented by blocking exports or imports or both, but is complicated by the U.S. need for investments to finance its huge account, account deficits and stock market volatility resulted in part from foreign investors refusing to invest in the U.S. because of its unpredictability, which elevates U.S. foreign policy over economic concerns. While the counterintuitive nature of U.S. sanctions are glaring, the structural dimensions of capitalism is the best advocate for why U.S. sanctions should end. Foreign exchange, the linchpin of establishing the value of the U.S. dollar, is predicated on dollars being accessible and used in furtherance of economic activity. Anytime U.S. sanctions restrict the flow, free flow of dollars, the value of dollars comes into question, while at the same time strengthening other currencies like the ruble, the yuan, the peso, the rand, the real, the euro, and so forth. Inevitably, the realization arises throughout the world. Trade can be facilitated without the use of dollars. Indeed, U.S. sanctions weaponizing the dollar has been the catalyst behind so much of the world rejecting dollar hegemony, preferring to replace the dollar regiment for trade using the yuan or ruble in, in the place of the dollar, with many states preferring to use its own currency for trade. 
This trend of using national currencies has enormous implications for U.S. imperialism. While Russia, China, BRIC nations have been out front advocating a different currency regime for global trade with Argentina, Chile, Colombia, and Mexico exploring a single currency with Brazil, none of these revelations have enraged the U.S. more than Saudi Arabia expressed interest in accepting energy payments and domestic currencies. If Saudi Arabia proceeds with this plan, the petrodollar, only dollars used for oil trade, will come to an end. Not only will the petrodollar end, but interest rates pertaining to dollars will skyrocket in the attempt of the U.S. to pay bills, pay its bills, but also the declining value of dollars will render the dollar obsolete and the empire would fade into history. The reality is Saudi Arabia highly unlike, is highly unlikely to sacrifice its cash cow by undermining the dollar regime established by the U.S. after World War II. This revolution, this revelation, by no stretch, is a comfort to imperial handlers who are still co- confronted with the inefficiency of sanctions, which fail to bring about desired results. Unilateral sanctions have not only been ineffective bringing about desired political change by undermining a targeted nation's economy, but have instead manifested undesired results in the U.S. domestic economy, contribute to additional economic decline, starting from the 2008 subprime debacle which was a systematic criminal activity, and the COVID-19 strategies, which simply was an attempt to conceal capitalism's decline. U.S. sanctions undermining of the U.S. domestic economy on average cost the U.S. economy between $15 and $19 billion a year, according to Institute of International Economics. The report concluded additional 200,000 high-tech jobs lost, over $1 billion in export wages are lost annually. In an attempt to remedy the unintended consequences of damage to the domestic U.S. economy, secondary sanctions have been implemented in, implemented in an attempt to shield the domestic U.S. economy by elevating other countries' economies who would be, de- who would be designated to absorb any downsides to U.S. sanctions. Typically, the U.S. would employ Europe to carry out sanctions, specifically sanctions targeting both Russia and China. Now, anger expressed by some European leaders like Merkel of Germany and Macron of France were unmistakable. Sources of their discontent were probable for a couple of reasons, aside from the fact that they were being manipulated by the U.S. The two examples were, one, trade with Russia and China were cheaper for European economies, given the exchange rates and transportation costs, given the proximity to shipping lanes and, and pipelines. Secondly, European foreign direct investments of 311 billion dollars, 11 billion euros in in Russia, and 148 billion euros in China, certified a solid business plan whereby the, the energy needs of Europe would be secured and inflationary pressures minimized. Former former President Trump vehemently opposed this opposed to this economic relationship between Europe, China, and Russia. Made it known sanctions against China and Russia is the priority that the energy needs of Europe are inconsequential or are totally unimportant to the aspirations of the U.S. Wasting no time, Trump, through executive order, authorized sanctions on Europe totally indifferent to the repercussions for the U.S. domestic economy when secondary sanctions are abandoned and become unilateral, sac- <coughs> unilateral sanctions. <coughs> sanctions first employed by appealing to Europe to initiate sanctions against Russia and China Excuse me one second, Brother Africa. Sanctions first employed by appealing to Europe to initiate sanctions against Russia. <clears throat> Russia and China quickly reverted to demands European leaders capitulate to Washington's demand or face retaliation. 
President-elect Biden understood an appealing to Europe leaders to impose sanctions on Russia and China and returning to secondary sanctions, the motivation by European leaders to impose austerity on the U.S. population will be minimized with the bulk of the economic hardship <coughs> landing on the European population. The bottom line is sanctions do not serve the interests of humanity. To the extent the more people embrace sanctions, the more we embrace our own suffering. Sanctions must be opposed at every turn for the sake of life on this planet. Not close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. From Brother Haki, we now go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in the community? Okay. Uh, certainly. Uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris says that the U.S. has formally determined Russia committed crimes against humanity. And the implica- and she said this at the Munich Security Conference uh, yesterday. And uh, the implications is that uh, the U.S. might uh, take further action against uh, Russia and uh, get more uh, involved in the uh, uh Russia-Ukraine con, uh, conflict uh, directly, and uh, you know that has uh, you know serious implications for uh, you know increasing uh, sanctions and possible military involvement of the U.S. government. Also. Uh, uh, sanctions continue against uh, Zimbabwe, and uh, you know, and uh, Africom continues to uh, uh, attack forces in Somalia, especially uh, because the area is in a strategic location uh, for world imperialism, since a substantial amount of trade goes through uh, the Suez Canal and Red Sea between Europe and other parts of Asia. Thank you, Brother Anthony. For Brother Anthony, now we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, that is a good question. There's been a lot of news this week. Um, We've got these um, recovery from uh, this earthquake in Turkey and Syria, which is a serious problem. Uh, the man and humanitarian outlooks and internationalism from the world's people. We we continue with Khrushchev's historic lesson to the world's people. You know, after we we examined Khrushchev's phony communism back in the 60s, and we continue that tradition under Putin. And uh, so we have an imperialist state uh, in uh, World War One. We, we reproduce with, where there's imperialist powers fighting each other. The neither side is at, in the interest of the working class. Uh, and Meanwhile, uh, we 
see. I I thought there was a demonstration uh, um, yesterday, the 18th of, of February, but this the March 18th. There's going to be a demonstration. Uh, U.S. out of um, of Ukraine uh, stop funding Ukraine and uh, and stop this end of this wars. Um, that will be on the 18th at the White House at 1 p.m. That's a Saturday. Um, there's a few things going on, but those, those are highlights. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. If I'm Brother Moses, we now have going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world in the community? <clears throat> well, we see, um, we see the uh, atrocity the, uh, with the uh, Ukraine having a tremendous impact on uh, on the world, and we it is uh, lines have clearly been drawn in that the uh, global South, uh, Central South America, the Caribbean, and Africa are not aligned with the expansion of NATO nor uh, in support of the annexation of uh, the Ukraine and Donbass regions uh, to separate Russia, a solvent country, from uh, its navy and uh, um, hundreds of thousands of its people, if not millions, um, that live along the Black Sea. Uh, this is a crisis for for the world, and we we must continue to educate uh, the community uh, about the importance of dismantling NATO to stop the uh, uh, the war between uh, Zelensky and uh, the Russian Federation. Uh, it's very important. The U.S. Uh, had started out with this being a proxy war uh, way back in 2014, and we continue to uh, violently uh, support this effort, as does Great Britain and the EU. We uh, see that we need to now more than ever lift all sanctions, including the sanctions against Syria, uh, uh, Iran, and uh, Cuba. Right now, there is so much that we could benefit from eliminating the sanctions against Cuba medical advancements, environmental advancements. Cuba uh, is the largest organic, um, uh, has the largest organic agricultural um, industry in the Western Hemisphere, and it's a small country. And certainly there's so much we could learn and benefit from um, just lifting the sanctions and allowing the people to live. These sanctions 
have an incredible impact on the health and well-being of the peoples of the nations where they are imposed. And with uh, Syria, the lack of help that it has received during this uh, earthquake is phenomenal. It's outrageous. And Afghanistan has almost slipped into darkness as the people there are freezing and starving to death as people in Yemen continue to to suffer from the weapons sold to the Saudis uh, for their war against Yemen. And uh, Palestine, uh, right now the fact that Uh, more than 11 children have been killed by the Israelis just this year. And about a 1,000 people are about to be displaced. And now with the new Israeli government, it is allowing for the illegal settlements to expand throughout the West Bank and they are mobilizing for more evictions in in, uh, Jerusalem. So uh, these are uh, urgent uh, matters. We saw this week that uh, uh, there were 23 bodies that uh, floated up on shore of folks attempting to migrate to the north from from Africa, and this is an outrage. We need to address the issue of food, water, and shelter. Uh, it is a human rights issue, and uh, we in this country accept homelessness and starvation as a way of life, but we have to change that perspective because spring under those conditions across the uh, continent are trying to evacuate, are trying to get out. They need water. They need food. And the fact that of those 23 bodies, several of them were children was just so that shows that families are at the, their wit's end just trying to, make a life and to have basic necessities such as food, water, and shelter. So um, these are very important issues. Uh, we continue to suppress uh, free speech, uh, uh, the rights of journalism uh, in, in this country, and we are acting as if the Russians are the only ones doing it. But the uh, Julian uh, Assange is still waiting to be extradited to the U.S., and we want him to serve to serve hundreds of years in jail. And we are uh, on the evening news talking about Russia uh, imposing four and five year sentences on Germany. I'm not saying one is right and the other isn't. I'm just saying that 
there is a great deal of misinformation, and it is time uh, for forums like this is why your form, Brother Africa, Africa on the Move, uh, is so essential in terms of educating people. So um, that's what's going on. Uh, an environmental hazmat uh, uh, suit is needed because uh, we saw the indigenous people come here uh, this week past with uh, uh, the new president of Brazil uh, to urge President Biden to focus on the issue of global warming and the importance of stopping the uh, illegal gold mining in uh, in Brazil and the impact that the mercury is having on the indigenous people. Uh, the uh, shaman for uh, the group uh, spoke about the children's hair falling out and the fact that uh, nothing could be grown from mercury and that uh, it was taking away the health of the people and that some 500-plus folks have died in the Brazilian Amazon uh, within the last couple of years just from mercury poisoning alone because they depend on the water uh, for drinking, cooking, and bathing. And as the shaman said, everyone loves bathing. Everyone loves washing, and their children do it, and it is having an incredible uh, impact on their health. And uh, we also see the impact now um, three generations out from the Vietnam War and the chemicals that we use there with birth defects and the number of uh, children that are uh, being born with deformities such as no arms, no legs, just severe deformities just from chemicals used in the bombing of Vietnam. So these are the issues that I have been observing in the last week, and uh, thank you again for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. This is Africa on the Move. We're going to take a rubbish culture break, and when we come back, we will continue to discuss what's going on in our world and your community, and you can join us. Uh, call in 323-679-0841. Please hit 1 if you have a statement or comment to make, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. We'll be right back.
it's predicated on the notion that uh, the masses of people in America are ill-informed, that we simply don't know, you know, up from down. So when they make these statements, they're very self-serving. But when you look at these statements, and certainly when you um, deconstruct these statements, when you talk about enemies of enemies of, of humanity, uh, there's no question about it. The U.S. history started out that way, and it's been a continuation in terms of uh, uh, inhumanity against humanity. So for United States to 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 falsely state that Russia somehow implicit in terms of um, human right abuses is laughable. But but again, Brother Africa, it's all predicated on the masses of people in this country not understanding the reality or understanding the history of the United States government. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa. So when so when so you know you know uh, Assistant Vice President Kamala Harris has political aspirations. Of course, you know one of the problems she's currently facing is that. There's, there's right-wingers in the Democratic Party whose position is that uh, she's not doing enough in terms of highlighting, you know, uh, President Biden's accomplishments. And so she, so she's, so they're threatening her with replacing her for the next election. So she's got to find some type of um, statement, some statement that resonates, you know, with the ruling elite in terms of, you know, saving her chances in terms of remain, remaining, you know, Vice President of the United States, ultimately to become, to run for the President of the United States. So when she said things like that, uh, there's no history, there's nothing to concretely support the notion that, Af- that, that Russia's engaged in human rights abuses. In fact, one of the things you got to give Russia, Russia credit for is the ability in terms of holding back, totally unleashing all its might on the Ukrainians, which it could have done in terms of could have obliterated Ukraine. It hasn't done that. To Putin's credit, he's been restrained in terms of you know what he's doing. So he don't have to do that, but he's doing that because of his, his understanding in terms of his in terms of uh, his commitment to, to humanity. As much as he understands that war is, is, is diametrically opposed to the interests of all humanity, he understands, you know, that if he were to use the, the Russian might in terms of bringing an end to this, this, this conflict, that the results would be, you know, massive, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people dead you know, as a result of Russia's might. You give him credit for not doing that. And so now if, if one could argue, in fact, if the shoes on another foot, and the United States, we did that. In earlier, Sister Eleanor talked about Vietnam. We talk about the dropping of Agent Orange. You talk about the, 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 the devastation. I mean, hundreds of tons of bombs dropped on innocent people. Uh, they didn't hold back in terms of using the might of the U.S. in terms of routinely destroying hundreds of mi- millions of, I mean, hundreds of thousands, of millions of people in Vietnam. Uh, at least Russia is executing some restraint in terms of using military might for the purpose of concluding this war. So there's a notion that somehow Africa, I mean, that that that, that Russia somehow complicitous in terms of uh, human rights violations is laughable. But again, again, this is America. So anything they say, you always have to understand that when they when they make statements, it's geared toward a, 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 a larger objective. In this case, it's geared toward painting Russia as the bad guy to justify U.S. expenses, uh, U.S. Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, shipping you know uh, military hardware you know to Ukraine. Uh, knowing full well than doing so that you belong the struggle, which means more people die. So clearly, brother Africa, I don't, I don't give much credence to anything that comes out of, out of Washington or from these politicians. And I close with that. Thank you, brother Haki. To brother Anthony, you know, brother Anthony, when one look at history, one can arrive at the position that one of the biggest crimes against humanity was the creation of the United States. Your response, brother Anthony. Uh, 
Indeed, I mean, uh, uh, an analysis of history, which uh, which uh, a, 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 lot, a lot of people in the uh, in the U.S. are ignorant of, is uh, uh, bears the fact that the U.S. is every bit as guilty of crimes against humanity as uh, as they allege Russia is. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking uh, land and and trying to uh, exterminate the indigenous people and put them on reservations, Uh, the the trafficking of of Africans to provide cheap labor, uh, to to develop – you know the the, uh, the the resources of the U.S. Uh, the, 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 those are definitely crimes against humanity, and uh, every bit uh, every bit as much as what uh, Kamala Harris is uh, is, uh, is uh, alleging against uh, Russia. And uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, the fact that this uh, this got played out in the media shows that uh, that uh, that the ruling class perceives uh, the uh, the the masses of people in the U.S. and around the world as being ignorant of uh, U.S. history. Thank you, brother Anthony. Sister Eleanor, talk to me, Sister Eleanor. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes you wonder how you keep from going under. Sister Eleanor, when you look at this, this present administration and look at their policies, earlier I think Brother Hatchie talked about this question of sanctions. The sanctions are no uh, uh, method of warfare. The U.S. has about 60% of sanctions against um, the world population. It down there have been sanctions against the whole in the whole world. What you make of that particular kind of policy, Sister Eleanor, when you talk about crimes against humanity? It's uh, it, it's uh, passive aggressive, and it's an incredible form of genocide. We see uh, even in Iraq today, for example, um, uh, the the lack of basic and and in Cuba and and, uh, in Afghanistan uh, we see the lack of basic medical supplies things uh, uh, and we're seeing it even in this country insulin Um, um, uh, you know people with diabetes a common disease for some reason in the aging population not having the medical resources, not having um, feminine hygiene uh, supplies, not having very basic supplies that uh, um, make it possible to sustain life is uh, the product of these sanctions. We see the lack of equipment in Syria we see the lack of Iran's ability to help the Syrians or with the sanctions against the Soviet Union because of these sanctions is causing thousands of deaths 
in Syria due to the earthquake. So the sanctions have an incredible uh, impact on on the global community. And um, it deprives us of the intellectual strength uh, that the world needs. We need right now to address the issue of global warming. We need to do these things, but as long as we have these sanctions and we have countries like Cuba still working to serve planet Earth by exploiting doctors, exploiting doctors to other communities, but suffering with a lack of of resources, whether it be um, construction supplies, medical supplies, things of what they lack, as does Syria. Syria is lacking the equipment and the access to the satellite resources that the world has now to help find these victims. And and these sanctions do nothing but cause death, premature death, and uh, it's, it's almost like a a form of genocide. I I um, was listening to um, missing pages of history, and I heard someone talking about Lady Bird Johnson's war on poverty. And I realized 60 years down the road that the war on poverty was in fact uh, in effect a war on poor people. So these sanctions create a, a type of uh, global poverty that impacts health uh, uh, in many ways uh, through a lack of medical resources, a lack of uh, housing, a lack of uh, ability to provide clean water in a community for itself, a lack of avail- availability of agricultural resources, uh, it is having a phenomenal impact on the on the globe. Look at uh, Uganda. The U.S. sanctioned Uganda for selling its gold that it was mined there uh, to uh, um, Asian nations without its authorization. Now, what kind of impact is that having? We know that is fostering the guerrilla war. So all I can say is that it is a, a danger and a harm to, to the planet. And with Asia, interestingly enough, with Asia, Asia having the um, uh, oldest, you know, the oldest population, aging population. Now, in countries like Japan, where there are no sanctions, you have some of the longest livers, people living people on planet Earth. Um, but uh, you are not seeing that in the West due to sanctions. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is a, a real outrage. Now, China um, uh, had its um, one-child policy for decades, so now it's subsidizing families to have children. But that's not the question. Your question was the impact of sanctions. 
And as I said, they are harmful to the, the nation where they are imposed, but they are also harmful to us that are not able to uh, utilize the knowledge and resources of our fellow human beings as a result of these sanctions. Um, they've had a devastating impact in, in Iraq, and right now there's a virtual blackout with uh, uh, Afghanistan. We know the people are starving there. We know people are selling children just to try to get food and a way to heat their homes. Uh, we know that that Cuba is suffering and that simple things like whether it's Tylenol or or drywall uh, to to rebuild when they had that uh, recent weather catastrophe there. Uh, not so long ago, it's just, it causes undue hardship. And uh, uh, it's up to us to stop all sanctions and and face it as uh, economic warfare. That's all it is, economic warfare. It's a type of violence against our fellow human beings. That's it. Thank you, Sister Noah. You're right. Economic warfare and warfare does come in different forms. Brother Moses, you the man that can pot in the water. When we look at the behavior of the U.S. government, Brother Tupac said they act like gangs and thugs. Do you agree with that assessment? The U.S. government acts like gangs and thugs? Yes, he said that's where you didn't hear from. Yes, you look at them man. And took it from them. What you make of that assessment? Well, they were gangs and thugs in the '60s when they were colluding and contending with the Soviet socialist imperialists for spheres of influence, and they continue that competition for spheres of influence today. Um, they have no real values on it. They will promote racism and bigotry, uh, death and violence. Uh, you know, the government is, is, is was founded on a bad note, and uh, until we change the tune, we're going to be dancing to the wrong tune. And so uh, we need a new new constitution. We're talking revolution, and uh, we need people who are dedicated to the people in power. All power to the people. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And coming back to Brother Haki and Brother Anthony, if you are particularly on this particular um, question, and the question is the constant killings of citizens in the U.S., particularly African people, by official official police officers. Most people understand that to be a form of state-sponsored terrorism. And these acts are also crimes against humanity. Your response to this this behavior as we look at these um, official police official officers and how they are acting irresponsibly or just outright shooting down African citizens and other people for basically no 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 just cause? 
Is this also a form of state-sponsored terrorism from your perspective, Brother Hockey? Well, let's 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 be very candid about you know state-sponsored terror. Of course, it's state-sponsored terror. There's no question about that. When you look at the roots in terms of the police, we understand their roots in terms of the overseer specifically was to monitor and to control the movement of African people. In other words, if African people did anything as perceived as out of ordinary, then the result was death or death or some type of destruction to those individuals uh, who engage in what is perceived as some type of transgression. So clearly, better Africa, uh, you know, it, it is it is it is state sponsored. One of the things we understand in the context of, of this system, we talk about all the power invested in the, in the federal government. One of the things is the federal government has the power to censor states. And I do understand for various reasons over the last last five, ten years, there's been a great reluctance by the Supreme Court to, to involve the federal government for the purposes of sanctioning states because the whole point is that the, the implication is now states have the right to run their own affairs, which happens to square with uh, this, 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 this tendency in terms of killing their own citizens. So anytime you allow the states the mobility or the freedom to actually go around killing their own citizens, without regard to the, the, the implication in terms of uh, life, then you can anticipate the states, in fact, will actually carry out those kind of death sentences. And so the mere fact that the government has opted, you know, to pretend like it has no, uh, it has no uh, obligation in terms of addressing, you know, the systematic killing of its own citizens is a bit of a farce. But clearly it's all geared toward in terms of the justification of killing of, of African people. And one thing we have to understand, when we talk about in the context of decline of capitalism as capitalism declines, we got to understand that inevitably, you know, when people don't have access to food, shelter, education, uh, <clears throat> those kind of things they need in terms of persisting, uh, you got to understand that the system, those positions of power, understand that that represents a unique threat to the system at large. One of the things, one of the needs of the system is to, to preserve itself at all costs. And the only way it can preserve itself at all costs is to fundamentally assassinate those, quote-unquote, who are perceived as an enemy. In any context of America, when you talk about the plight of African people in society, or you talk about the plight of, of, of other people of color, or you talk about the plight of poor people who happen to be white in society, they all are an existential threat to the system as it exists. African people just seems to serve from a historical point of view as the quintessential example in terms of, you know, police killings as an example to others that if you don't toe the line, see what we did to the Africans, we'll do to you. And so, therefore, so when we talk about disproportionate amount of force or, or killing applied to African people, then it's just, 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 a, just a reason behind it. It doesn't, it doesn't arbitrarily exist. It exists specifically because it serves the interests of the state. And this is what African people have to understand. And if we don't come to understand the reality in terms of how the system works, then, you know, at, at this point, they're just killing off, uh, they're, killing, they're killing 100 people a month. Well, in, five, in, in three to five years, maybe that number is going to become they're killing 2,000 a month, you see. So it's going to escalate because the reality is that as a capitalism client, it has no other recourse but to penalize those, quote, unquote, who are perceived as the enemy. African people are perceived as the quintessential enemy, and we have to understand that. So if we don't organize and we don't understand the reality in terms of what we're up against, then when they kill us, then we can't look around and say we have responsibilities on others because the bottom line is that when you look at politicians in terms of their unwillingness to confront the system, understand the level of opportunism that exists in the minds of politicians 
uh, it's not predisposed for them to take a position that's going to hamper or somehow get in the way of their ability to make money. So as long as they play rules, play by the rules, that's money to be made. These politicians are not going to jeopardize the opportunity to make money for what is essentially what is right. So clearly it's incumbent upon the community to understand the not only the historical significance in terms of killing of African people, but understand these also understand the social political dimensions in terms of why the, the state endorses the killing of African people in the society. Thank you, Brother Haki. And your response, Brother Anthony, as we look at America and yes. their policy of state-sponsored terrorism, as relates to how they are constantly killing its own so-called citizens. I say so-called because when you look at the Africans here, every 20 years we have to fight just to vote again. If these citizens, why we have to keep voting over every 20 years? But anyway, Brother Anthony, your response. Um, I concur with your observation, Brother Africa, that uh, that it is state-sponsored terrorism, and uh, and uh, it's intensifying because uh, capitalism, as it develops, has a way, ha- has found a means, particularly U.S. capitalism, of of diversifying its source of labor. Uh, in other words, uh, there was a time in hi- in history when Africans were needed for cheap labor. That's one of the reasons why what 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 why we were why why we were kept here as uh, as uh, slaves and uh, sharecroppers, etc. and and uh, workers because they needed our labor. But with the uh, but with outsourcing of uh, of the labor supply, uh, in the in, in, in the in the view of the ruling class, uh, the ruling bourgeoisie, Africans have to become expendable. That is why you're seeing uh, more, more, uh, uh, so much uh, uh, killing of Africans now. Because it's being exposed more, and also because, uh, in the in the view of some, we're no longer needed as cheap labor, because they can get they they can get that from uh, from other parts of the world. Ironically, mostly uh, mostly uh, uh, mostly people by uh, by by by, by uh, uh, other people of color such as the the Philippines, Vietnam, et cetera. And um you know, so uh you know, uh you know, uh you know, people have to re- uh you know, begin to understand that as capitalism declines, as imperialism uh, you know, tries to maintain its uh its hold over the uh limited resources of the planet. Uh, is going to get more repressive, and uh, that's the implication, you know, of uh, this uh, of this uh, state-sponsored terrorism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. You're listening to Africa on the Moon. It's a community project of the African Awareness Association. You can hear this program every Sunday evening, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. U.S. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to make our transition to our theme tonight. 
The West has no respect for Africa and African people. We encourage you to come and join us by dialing 323-679-0841. And we'd like to hear what you have to say. So we'll be right back. This is Brother Africa and Africa on the Moon.
Transition or discussing the theme tonight. The West has no respect for Africa or African people. And one way you can tell how the West has no respect for Africa or African people is just looking at some of the behavior and some of the interactions that African people have to go through as relates to fighting for their interests as a people and as just being a human being. At this point in time, I would like to direct your attention to a book titled Booker T. Washington, Africa, The Making of a Pan-Africanist, which I thought really interesting when we look at this particular perspective, but also what it shows, again, in terms of the behavior and attitude of the West as it relates to 
Africa, African people. Now, panelists, when you read this particular article, I'll start with you, Brother Haki, give me a critique in terms of, um, did this shed a different light of how you may see Booker T. Washington and why he had to do the things he had to do if the West had any kind of respect for Africa and African people? Brother Haki. Yeah, well, I, I, I think you have to view uh, Booker T. Washington in a different perspective. You know, one of the things he's often promoted as, you know, somehow unidimensional. Uh, in other words, we see him being pretty much in, in lockstop uh, uh, with the uh, values of the American system. And often we didn't take into consideration that was merely in the strategy in terms of doing what he had to do, you know, under very oppressive circumstances. So the reality is that Booker T. Washington is very, very analytical in terms of you know his understanding of the world. Uh, I think uh, his his solutions may have been perceived as pragmatic, but I think given the reality in terms of the material condition of African people at that point in history, you know I think he did what he seemed to be feasible in terms of actually being as serve as some somewhat a uh, a stepping stone in terms of getting to where we need to be, uh, you know, uh, strategically in society, uh, to, to, to proceed in such a way in which we could be assured of victory, you know, without, uh, you know, without meeting, you know, fierce resistance from those positions of power, you know, who are adamantly opposed to the, to the interests of African people. So I think to a large extent, uh, Booker T. Washington is, 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 is certainly someone who should be admired. And certainly uh, when, we, when we look at his works, we should take into consideration you know, uh, you know the time and place and the conditions that he had to, to he had, he had operated in. In that context, I think that uh, we have to conclude that Booker T. Washington, in fact, was a very, very stellar in terms of his his analysis in terms of his own society. And in closing, brother, Africa, I think it's important to point out that one of the things is that, given the fact that uh, you know that uh, he he was pretty much. Uh, he pretty much stood alone in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of his articulations. Uh, one of the things you got to understand, in the context of it, during the time that he lived, for an African man to stand up um, to articulate self-empowerment among African people, uh, that was that was taken on a a a, a lot, and the, the potential ramifications from, from doing such were very, very real. So he had, he had, so he had, he was fearless on, 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 in many regards. But the same token, he realized that in terms of being able to achieve what he wanted to achieve, uh, he had to temper that with reality. Is that you know that you, you're talking about uh, uh, trying to bring about real change, you know, without the kind of ten, you know uh, tangible support, you know, for the masses of African people, simply because the masses of African people at that point in history really didn't grasp a lot of the nuances in terms of what was taking place. Uh, at that point, in that point in history, so so Booker T. Washington is certainly someone who uh, uh, should be receive a lot of adulation simply because you know what he stood for, uh, what he did under very difficult circumstances, and certainly have to reevaluate you know what Booker T. Washington was all about. Thank you, Brother Harkey, Brother Anthony. When we look at this critique of this book, Booker T. Washington in Africa: The Making of a Pan Africanist. Uh, how do you view him? It's clearly that his actions were based upon or a reaction to how the West has uh, perceived Africa and African people. Your response, Brother Anthony? Uh, indeed. Uh, I think that, that that is correct. And the thing about it, though, he had um, uh, he went about uh, trying to provide Africans 
some of the tools they needed for nation-building purposes. I think that's why he emphasized, uh, you know, uh, uh, you you know, making things at at the Tuskegee Institute as opposed to merely, uh, you know, uh, an intellectual, uh, you know, education that uh, uh, at at places like uh, Harvard or Yale that, uh, that, uh, you know, contemporaries like W.B. Du Bois put emphasis on. And uh, let's see, and I think the fact that he, that he uh, propagandized against the Congo, the so-called Congo Free State, under uh, under King Leopold of Belgium, uh, shows that uh, that uh, you know that 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 he that he was he was by his actions actually a Pan-Africanist. It's just that he had to keep his politics. On the low for various reasons. I mean, uh, things were much more openly repressive during his lifetime than, than than they are presently. And I think that's why he had to, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, pers- uh, you know, proceed quietly about his uh, political activity. But uh, but uh, I think. Uh, the 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 what, what he fought against shows how repressive conditions were against African people in the Western Hemisphere, especially, um, and even at even at home, uh, the Liberian crisis, uh, you know, illustrates that point. I mean, the fact that there were countries that were willing to take over Liberia. Because of uh, you know Liberia's debt issues shows that, and also this poly, uh, also his uh, his uh, stance against the African exclusion measure, so called, uh, shows which was a, a, a you know a, a, a legislative effort uh, to prevent. Uh, people of African descent from immigrating to the U.S. from the Caribbean, Central and South America, um, not so much Africa, but, uh, you know, but how, uh, you know, but how, how pervasive uh, racism was during that time period. And the fact that he, he stood against that uh you know uh, are examples of his uh pan african beliefs thank you brother and sister eleanor one of the things looking at this book and dealing with some issues that booker t washington dealt with back in the early 1900s it seemed like these same issues exist today as we talk about immigration and not only africans to come to this country as we talk about you trying to recolonize africa can you speak to this question of the similarities of the battles we fought then and the battles we fight today. Your response, Sister Eleanor. Uh, that, you know, um, 
that is true. Just as uh, uh, Brother Anthony just mentioned, the African exclusion measure designed to target and exclude African and black persons immigrating to the United States from uh, uh, the Caribbean, Central, and South America, as Brother Anthony says. Uh, this was a, a phenomenal thing that uh, Booker T. Washington belonged among the canon of Pan-Africanists that uh, helped shape uh, the 20th century uh, before the discord and narrative of Booker T. Washington uh, was even shifted. But what uh, the, these same, same struggles go on today. And as uh, Brother Anthony mentioned, Liberia and its debt problems in 1907, how France, Britain, and Germany colonized uh, Liberia, and uh, which was one of two independent countries at that time. What I found even more interesting was as of today with the uh, immigration problems, you see that uh, with the building of the Panama Canal, uh, we not only took, or not we, but the United States not only annexed part of Colombia uh, uh, to create the country of Panama, it, mm-hmm. it had Africans, uh, black people, as the article said, and I quote, African or black race people moving from the United States, from Central America, the Cameroon, to dig this canal so that uh, it was really for the sake of commerce to give, uh, to create a shipping lane between the Atlantic and the Pacific. And uh, after that, the issue was uh, is where that African exclusion measure came to be. And he worked very hard to uh, uh, stop that. He also, And these are the very same conditions we see ourselves facing right now. Um, look at the, the Haitians and the Cameroonian people. The Cameroonians from the continent come through Colombia, through the jungle in northern Colombia and struggle to reach Panama and struggle to go through Central America just to be able to reach the United States. And you see men on horses, horseback uh, employees of the federal government that were immigrants themselves harshly pushing the Haitians and the Cameroonians back. And it is purely racially motivated. And it's interesting because these people, to me, appear to be people of color. And uh, it, it's, it's outrageous. So we see the Willie Lynch phenomena happening in the 21st century. And uh, we, we see... Uh, you know, the, the same struggle... And his aggressive campaign in the black press and his efforts, you know, um, to use uh, the Tuskegee machine allowed 
for the defeat of the uh, of that exclusion measure. So he did accomplish, you know, something that we were not even aware of. So I just want to say that that you know this 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 uh, review gave me an opportunity to look at look at T. Washington in a different fashion. But uh, the struggles that uh, we are facing today are uh, are still <clears throat> very similar to the struggles that were going on around the construction of the Panama Canal. We see, uh, just as uh, not to be redundant, we see... Uh, uh the the harsh treatment of black immigrants coming in through our southern border we see the abuse of many immigrants and all but we see an extraordinary abuse of the uh Haitians and the uh uh, Cambodians, and we we must remember how the Haitians were being forced back on these little dinkies. Uh, the Coast Guard was not embracing them, not bringing them aboard to the point that uh, Haitians no longer try to come here by small vessels any longer because they know they are going to be re- re- uh, rejected and face the loss of life and limb. So I see the situation um, uh, right now similar in, in many ways and that the struggle goes on. And you see how one man that we know and, and we look at every February for Black History Month, the W.D. Du Bois and, and, and Booker T. Washington, and that, uh, yes, these struggles continue. And... We have to look back at people like uh, uh, James Foreman, who lived in uh, Washington, D.C., a Ph.D., who lived in adject poverty, and he ended up having to be a jitney at the supermarket carrying people's groceries home for just a few dollars to make his uh, living expenses. Expenses now. Something I found interesting was that um, Booker T. Washington became the vice president of the Friends uh, of the Congo. Uh, that was a very interesting uh, tidbit that we learned in this uh, uh, the review of this this book, and that uh, he was actively propagandizing against uh, Leopold and uh, recognizing the U.S. as the first nation to acknowledge uh, uh, Leopold's uh, sole ownership of the Congo. He actually, I I believe, rejected that. Washington lobbied, uh, he actually lobbied the government in an attempt to highlight the uh, uh, the the regime and 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 actively encouraged uh, 
uh, or actively engaged, I should say, in or in the organized efforts meant to uh, address the crises in the Congo and assume the uh, and therefore assume the role of of the vice president of Friends of the Congo. But yes, uh, we are dealing with similar issues, except for now. We as uh, Africans on the continent and the diaspora in the in the West, as well as in uh, Asia and and the South Pacific, are now uh, in a position where we have to recognize ourselves as a common people and begin to work together. Thank you, Sister Alnora. Brother Moses, your take on this book. And how you view Booker T. Washington, Brother Moses? Uh, Booker T. Washington was a, a complicated man. Uh, um, certainly, he had his his love for his people, um, and he 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 his 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 heart was was I think was in the right place, but it's. His mentality and uh, his vision uh, um, was not consistent, I would say. But nevertheless, when it came to foreign policy uh, and um, Africa and Pan-Africanism, he seemed to be ahead of his time. Uh, He was fighting for human rights and... uh, the liberation of other people, and uh, and you know that's that's what this this book is pointing out. Uh, uh, I don't have any more to say. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Let's move forward to another article that um, we found an interest in. To our audience, if you get a chance, Google this article titled. U.S. debate bill to counter online Russian activities in Africa. Um, it came from ISS, the Institute for Security Studies. And um, when you talk about the attitude of the West, it has no respect for Africa and African people. I, th- I think that this particular article typifies this very clearly. Uh, it's talking about this whole question about a United States deal that would oblige Washington to punish African governments to abide Russian malign activities on the continent in selling to Congress. The country malign Russian activities in Africa Act passed the House of Representatives on the 27th of April by a huge bipartisan 419-9 majority and then assured to pass by the Senate and become law soon. It would direct the U.S. Secretary of State to develop, a, to develop and submit to Congress a strategy, an implementation plan, outlining the United States' effort to counter the malign influence and activities of the Russian Federation and its proxies in Africa. The bill broadly defined sets malign activities that those that undermine United States objectives and interests. I'll stop right there. Um, Brother Haki, 
when you're talking about how did you Africa, African people, this is like looking at us as we are their little children, and they can just impose and tell us what we should do. What is your attitude toward this bill when you look at this and see that um, both these parties have no respect for Africa, African people? Your response to this article, Brother Hakeem? I think you're right, Brother Africa. I I, I think that uh, you know when 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 President Ramaphosa talked about the fact that Western leaders tend to treat African leaders as children, I I, I think there's no getting around that. I think, but the irony, irony though, Brother Africa, you know, when you talk about this bill specifically directing the Secretary of State to submit strategies to counter Russia's influence on Africa, that's one thing. But when you incorporate Proxies. Now, what is a proxy? Now, a proxy is someone who uh, adopts ideas or positions or even platitudes that doesn't necessarily empower the interests of, of, of the United States. So, in other words, for African people to advocate on behalf of African, for African leaders to advocate on behalf of what's interests of African people, that is, is considered inappropriate. They're considered proxies. In other words, what they're saying is that these are children. And we're going to direct them as to how to think and what to think. That is ironic. I mean, but, but, but certainly, when you talk about in terms of how the global system is situated, how it's set up, they clearly, you know, one thing, and we got to be very clear on this point, is that when we talk about economics, Africa was never established. Uh, the, the, the imperialist system was never established to incorporate Africa in terms of world economic affairs. That's the first thing we have to understand. And as a consequence, they create a kind of construct which says, you know, that they're going to define the parameters in which Africans actually participate in this bogus economic system. In other words, they have a system where African leaders can't even control their own currency. Not only can they not control their own currency, they can't control trade. They can't even control investments in their countries. All of this suggests that Africans are less than adults, that they're treating them as children. And so it seems to me at some point African leaders have to come to the realization, you know, that in order to defeat this this imperialist Western design, that it's going to take the collective efforts of African people to defeat it. No single nation can do it. Unfortunately, many times African leaders tend to think that they can do it unilaterally and, and, and everything is going to be okay. But well, since you've got a system in place which is, is, consists of Western nations working in concert, the bottom line, it can't be achieved. You have to work in concert to defeat the West in terms of its, its imaginations, in terms of the kind of things it does, in terms of the disempowerment of, of Africa. But I think certainly one thing that's problematic, Brother Africa, is that when we talk about, you know, Gregory Meeks, who's the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, this, this is an African out of, New York, out of New York State. So this African understands the nature in terms of oppression coming out of, out of, out of New York State. So he understands clearly the, real, the reality is. Now, the motion that when he, when he says that what he's doing is in interest to Africa because of events rushing from committing transgressions against Africa, I find that somewhat laughable. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is that when Africa establishes the African Association for Free Research and International Cooperation, it's done specifically to monitor African elections to ensure Western interference in African elections does not take place. More importantly, it tends to educate people in terms of, you know, uh, issues that are put into Africa, which is diametrically opposing interest of the United States. So when, so when this guy, Greg and Meeks, talk about he's in concern about Africa, he's, he, he's, 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 he's in a way that's so reminiscent of, you know, maybe, you know, 
you're, you're talking to a 10-year-old, you know, in terms of, you know, having his interest at heart or him, his, his or her interest at heart. You know, and of course, the way you talk to a 10-year-old uh, male child is quite different than the way you talk to a grown individual in terms of whatever uh, problems you receive or whatever issues that are uh, to be discussed. Uh, so clearly, even this guy, Greg Meese, is, 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 you know, his his tenant, I mean, his desire in terms of talking to, to African people as children, I think is ironic. I mean, particularly from an African coming out of New York State who understands and just in terms of the struggles in terms of African historically, in terms of just being the subsist in New York State. So this is very, very ironic. But I, but I think, it did, again, Brother Africa, is indicative of the fact that African uh, leaders are perceived as somewhat childlike. And until African leaders come to the realization, you know, that the, 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 the systematic structure of imperialism not only has to be confronted, but it has to be dismantled. Until they get to that realization, uh, the bottom line is that the West is going to continue to treat African people as African leaders as children, and as long as they choose their children, the bottom line is nothing is going to change. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, from this article, the U.S. debate deal to counter malign Russian activities in Africa. Uh, we say earlier they act like gangsters. Uh, when I look at this particular deal and this particular behavior by the West as it relates to Africa, African people, they seem to just go on outright gangsters and say what belongs to us, they don't control it, and we have no right to control our own resources and make our own decisions in terms of how we want to use them. Your response, Brother Anthony. Uh, this uh, this uh, act uh, represents an interference in, in African internal affairs. Uh, that's one thing I want to point out. And that uh, it uh, it also illustrates the fact that the that the uh, act passed by a, a huge bipartisan four nineteen to nine majority uh, uh, indicates how how rampant uh, neocolonialism is in our community. That mm-hmm. means that a lot of the Africans in uh, in, in these positions voted for this measure also. And uh, even though it, it, this article doesn't make that clear, uh, the fact that it passed by 419 the mar- uh, margin, that means there was a little opposition by, uh, by uh, uh, you know, by the legislature for this measure. And that most Africans uh, uh, seem to go along with it that were that that, that were in Congress. So uh, you know, so I I, I think this uh, illustrates clearly that uh, that uh, that the Democratic Party is is solidly in the hands of the uh, bourgeois uh, of the bourgeois ruling class. And does not represent the interests of African people at all. And definitely, Anthony, I'd like the point you alluded to that when you're talking about so-called African leadership or politicians, they are definitely colonialists. They see themselves through the eyes of their oppressors, to the eyes of the West. They see themselves see themselves as being part of the West, and don't see themselves as being part of the African family. 
They definitely are operating and functioning as if they are somebody else. And uh, and uh, Kamala Harris is, uh, you know, is a perfect example of that. I mean, she's the one that uh, that 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 made that statement that uh, that 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 the U- U.S. Uh, uh, formally, uh, you know, uh, charges Russia with war crimes, with crimes against humanity. I should say. The things that will make our people do to act out against their own interests is amazing. Sister Eleanor, come in here and talk to us. What you take from this article, Sister Eleanor? Definitely it's a reflection of how the West has no respect for Africa and African people. Your position on this article, Sister Eleanor. Talk to me. Talk to me. Tell me something good, Sister Eleanor. Well, it, it clearly demonstrates the lack of... Uh, of, of respect uh, by the U.S. Congress of the African nations and African people. Uh, when they took a position uh, uh, not to um, to either abstain, to be absent, uh, Eritrea actually voted against while 17 uh, nations abstained and the rest were absent. This was not an accident. This was intentional. And then uh, for us, the, the new U.S. bill designed to to punish Africa uh, for what it determined was a lack of support for the U.S.-led proxy war. Well, uh, they chose not to support a war. Right now, this this war wouldn't have been what it is if it hadn't been for Western interference and support of the Ukrainians to start. Uh, this was, uh, in, in many uh, opinion, uh, many nations' opinion, was a uh, struggle, uh, a national struggle uh, that the uh, Russian Federation needed to address, not for uh, uh, the EU and uh, Great Britain and the United States to address. And U.S., uh, again, is an issue of sanctions. You know, there are almost uh, sanctions against uh, uh, Africa, and we we see, uh, as uh, Brother Anthony said, uh, just not seeing uh, African nations as sovereign nations, and more importantly, this bipartisan vote at the Congressional Black Caucus. Where were they? Four hundred and nineteen. To nine, the majority uh, in this, this widely divide, divided House of Representatives that we get this kind of uh, bipartisan uh, legislation passed. It speaks to how there is a real lack of understanding of, of the continent of Africa, the nations of Africa, 
and the people of Africa and people in the global south. This is just a, a, a tip on the iceberg uh, because they not only hold these feelings towards Africans on the continent, they hold it for the peoples of South America, Central and the Caribbean as well, as well as Asia. And it is not the U.S. who should have control over the sovereignty of nations nor any other nations. So um, that this is a lack of uh, democracy and... Uh, this bill was introduced in Congress on March 31st and uh, was uh, clearly a response to Russian, Russia's uh, February 24th uh, activities in the Ukraine. And, and uh, these punitive laws aimed at Russia and, and, and 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 threatening Africa. This this is a outrage, and the people of planet Earth need to stand up and say no. And this is just disrespect for Africa and the African Union, the whole. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, uh, one of the things you can tell about who is your friend, who is your enemy, is you just look at their policies and their practices. And when you're talking about implementing policies that's against your own interests, and you fight for your own interests, but yet one was being you as the enemy, then you have no other choice but to fight against them. It's, it's, war, it's, it's warfare. Your response to these articles, Brother Moses? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we live in a world of politics and uh, class struggle compounded by sexism and racism. And, uh, you know, the issues become complex and uh, and are played out in the political economy. And so, you know, this is, this is just reality. Uh, uh, I'm... I'm not sure where I want to go with this. Uh, um, no problem, Brother Moses. No problem at all. We just would like to let our listening readers know that, you know, sometimes it's important to have uh, proper information so you can make a concrete analysis. Yeah, from this particular article, clearly shows that U.S. interests have no love for African African people. Uh, when you look at these two-party systems, they're the same party. And they are the enemy. They are the enemy to Africa, African people. Now, they say this not by words, but through their practices. So our people have to use these tools or analysis to come to understand what they are up against. So before we make our final transition to our next article, any other thoughts you'd like to make, Brother Haki, on this article? Well... I, I think we can't dismiss the structural aspect, you know, of uh, what's happening in Africa. Uh, one of the things, you know, no matter how well African economy performs, the bottom line is that whenever the West wants to, it can cripple 
that uh, accomplishment very, very easily. For example, uh, let's say uh, country X in Africa is doing well economically. Well, it doesn't take much for the United States or the Western government or the central bank specifically to create a situation where not only the terms in terms of borrowing exponentially increases, but also just in terms of, you know, by forcing those countries to actually use their, their dollar reserves to pay bills actually causes the cost of living in that country to, exact, to, to increase exponentially, which means that the country becomes poor and poor and poor. And they can do that all using computers. They don't have to go to Africa to do it. They can do that right, right in the West. And so when you got that kind of systematic uh, reality in terms of conf- that's confronting Africa, the bottom line is that if the, the response has to be systematic, it has to be. Uh, one of the things uh, when we think about, in fact, uh, you know, certain African countries are doing well right now economically, but that could change very, very easily, and, and it doesn't take a great deal of effort in terms of doing that. When it, whenever the West wants to cripple an African economy, it can do it very, very easily. Uh, it has, you know, the, the monetary policy. It is, you know, it has the the, the bond market policies at its disposal. It, it has the, uh, the the liquidity issues at its at its disposal. You have a situation where, ironically, within Africa, African currencies have no real value. So it means that then they give African currencies some value is the fact that they have Western currencies. In fact, in order for African nations to pay their bills, they need Western currency to pay their bill. To the extent that African currency has any relevance whatsoever, any value, it determines how many Western reserves they have in their accounts. And that is crazy. That is crazy. How is it that a country with all the resources that Africa possess, you know, that you have no control over the resources that you possess, that that decision is usually done by Western states to determine what the value of those resources are? It is crazy. But to some extent, we, and Brother Moses is correct, I think we have to realize the whole question in terms of class becomes becomes a very key issue in terms of this, the, 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 the devastation, you know, impacting Africa. Because the bottom line is that African leaders do benefit from playing ball with Western states in terms of strategic inequalities that are set up by Western states specifically for the sole purpose of undermining Africa's uh, development, economic development. So to the extent that they play ball, they understand that by playing ball that they undermine their own economy because they all about the individual enrichment. They don't really care about the implications in terms for the economy generally because they they benefit individually. So that struggle has to take place in terms of that class struggle in terms of Africa has to take place in terms of understanding, you know, that these African leaders, you know, who sit at the head of the table in terms of making these decisions in terms of playing ball, the mass of the people have to come to the realization that this has to come to an end, and there has to be some struggle in terms of forcing an, an, an end to this kind of relationship, you know, with Western states. Uh, I think to the extent that that's possible, it's not going to be easy, because when we talk about Western states in terms of providing um, um, uh, a technology for the purpose of spying on the population of Africa, it's very, very real. Uh, they might not give uh, Western African states a lot of money in terms of, you know, agricultural technology and those kind of things would have, that are good in terms of the proliferation of the African economy, but certainly they will provide technology when it comes to spying on the population because it serves Western interests. And so, therefore, Western, Western, Western uh, citizens have to contain the fact that they have this very intricate, very complex technologies that are constantly placed at them to monitor you know, what they do, what they say, who they who they meet with, and all this kind of thing. In addition to 
Western military intervention on the content itself, which actually identifies most progressive, most revolutionary uh, elements on the continent, assassinate them, and uh, you know, and um, and, um, and, 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 and and make it easier to carry out Western objectives. One final thing I have to mention, I think it's important. I make it very, very quick. I think one of the things is that when we talk about sanctions uh, in terms of in, in, in terms of Africa, one of the things that one of the cases that comes to mind is the case of Somalia. Now, during the time at the time when, they, when the forces in, in Somalia ran um, Saeed Barra out of power, uh, there was a, a, a organization of like 12 to 15 groups called the Islamic Court Union. These were various brothers and sisters, you know, you know, of the Islamic faith, and all of them weren't radical. Some of them were moderate, some of them were radical, but others were moderate. So it was a mixture of, in terms of, in terms of their understanding of Islam. Well, the United States could not tolerate the Islamic presence in Somalia. As a consequence, it ended up assassinating a couple of very progressive leaders among the Islamic court, and the process was successful in terms of pitting or dividing the Islamic court. Uh, and to make them and, and, afford, and encourage them to lose power in terms of being able to shape the events right there in Somalia. Because up until then, one of the things was that they did a very good job in terms of fighting crime, providing for the masses of people in terms of education, shelter, food, those kind of things people need. The Islamic Court did an excellent job in terms of providing those things for the masses of people. Well, the United States recognized that that was a that was a that was a red flag. They could not tolerate that, <coughs> and so. They put into uh, put into motion a means to dismantle the Islamic Court, and they did, using forces from Ethiopia and the African Union. They were able to pretty much decimate the, the Islamic the Islamic Union. Only now the Islamic Union began to uh, reconsolidate in terms of being able to actually fight back. But nonetheless, the United States did a very good job in terms of dismantling the, the Islamic Union, Islamic Court Union. Uh, for the purposes of perpetuating imperialism in in Somalia, so clearly when we so when we talk about this, 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 this when we talk about the nine African states who are currently witnessing some type of sanctions from the United States government, keep in mind none of these sanctions has nothing to do <coughs> with with some some aberrant or some un, some unnatural some criminal behavior by African leaderships. This has more to do in terms of United States of desire to have absolute control over the resources, over the people, over the ideas that permeate the African continent. And that's all that is. And so African leaders have to come to the realization that in order to be truly free, we have to confront that reality in terms of the systematic inequalities that exist in terms of the global economic system and to fight against that system and to, and to create a system in place which not only empowers you know, African people, but it's, but essentially makes it possible for control of the African economy become a, to become a reality. So that's the struggle that we're confronted with. So now I close that, Brother Africa, and I'm just hopeful that uh, Africa being a very young population, people will come to the realization that those struggles have to take place in terms of being able, you know, to create a productive and uh, happy Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, we will make a transition to uh uh, next article, which again typifies how the West has no respect for Africa, African people. Um, if you could Google this article to Alyssa Williams, this, this article worthwhile critiquing. Uh, it's titled Memphis Police Chief Transferred 
Let me read this again. Don't have my glasses on. Memphis Police Chief transformed what Israel security for, what Israel security for. Okay, now, this police chief who went there, was trained with Israel security firm. They they had this positive now in the U.S. where a lot of that law enforcement um, officers going to Israel for training. And I think for a while, you know, people didn't know that she was part of those uh, officers who are going to Israel to get their training. And part of the contradiction in terms of training is the training encourages more brutality than didn't try to avoid it. So in terms of looking at this particular um, article, Brother Anthony, um, what you take from this in terms of how this relationship between the law enforcement here and the law enforcement in Israel is collaborating on how to terrorize its citizens? Brother Anthony, your take. Uh, it's, uh, it's fairly similar. And... Uh, and it's interesting that both uh, both the U.S. and and Israel are settler colonies, as uh, as well as uh, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, but uh, you know they they behave in a in, in a similar fashion towards the indigenous or African population. In the in in those areas, and uh, and uh, you know, and uh, some of the techniques that are used by the Zionists against the Palestinians, they teach those to uh, uh, to, uh, to 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 U.S. policemen that go there for training. And uh, in turn, uh, U.S. Uh, police probably exchange, uh, you know, uh, uh, to- uh, to- torture techniques with uh, the Zionist forces. And, uh, you know, it, it was similar to, to-, to the days of uh, child slavery. Where uh, uh, you know various slave masters, uh, you know from uh, even if they were in different parts of the Western Hemisphere, would exchange information in terms of how to uh, torture and uh, torment uh, you know enslaved Africans. So uh, you know it's a similar pattern. And that's why this exchange between Israel and U.S. has to end, but would only end if the people demand and fight for it, just like it, like everything everything else. Uh, you know, we've gained in the society. We had to fight for it, and uh, I think, uh, and uh, I think that's the. Uh, uh, the key takeaway uh, from, from this article is the fact that uh, that the the, the 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 torture methods we've seen perpetrated against Africans they learn from the Zionist forces in occupied Palestine. And for our listening audience again, to be more more precise, 
This article was written by Black Agenda Report on February the 8th, 2023. And the correct title is Mississippi Police Chief Train with Israel Security Firm. That's the correct title. And it's a lot more clear now. So anyway, Sister Eleanor, talk to us, Sister Eleanor. When we talk about this whole question of um, how the West has no respect for African African people, and we go to people who definitely have no respect for us, and when we look at the Israeli forces, um, with taxpayer money, what do we expect to happen when we encounter these officers who are being desensitized to treat you like anything other than human beings, Sister Eleanor? Well, we see. Well, well, we see that the police chief Davis did this training while she was in Atlanta, and by the time she reached Durham, she realized that uh, it was a mistake. First of all, the thing, uh, even um, uh, one of the uh progressive groups uh jew uh, jewish voices for peace uh thought the exchange was nothing more than the enhancement of the militarization uh of the police force in america uh policing with israeli tactics and technology of occupation and apartheid that are being tested on Palestinians on a daily basis. So they've already outlined what was going on and the problems with the whole. um, And we know, we the public know about the treatment of the Palestinians and the murder, murders that are going on and the new government's uh, intent to undermine the courts of Israel, uh, which is a military settler state, as Anthony said, just uh, it, it is uh, and is an outrage. But but by the time one thing the article did say that by the time Chief Davis uh, became the chief in Durham, she seemed to have changed her tune on such programs and um, uh, refused to participate. At one point, she had established a police, uh, an Israeli relationship and, and established a program here in the United States. But she realized that the militarization of the uh, U.S. police force was not the way to go and that... Um, uh, what she witnessed in Israel was not policing. It was apartheid, and it was uh, an army against the masses. And uh, uh, they, 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 uh, uh, um, it was something known for having introduced something called the Blue Crush. Uh, uh, this is this police technology with the face recognition, and they wanted to adopt some of the techniques they had learned uh, uh, in Israel. But uh, this I, this is an outrage. It is something we need. We are struggling 
activists are struggling to move away from the militarization of the police departments in the U.S. We see daily, almost daily, uh, African Americans, um, working class Americans being killed by the police and their tactics, whether uh, this tasing of the people. Why does it take five officers to arrest one man in North Carolina? Why, why is he dead an hour later? And uh, what uh, you, what these people were learning, um, the Israeli police were, were doing patrols in East Jerusalem along with the militarized fence blockade Gaza. You know, Gaza has that uh, 30-foot fence separating it from the rest of the country. And the Palestinians literally have, do not have free access um, from from place to place. They are restrained. It is a open prison. And uh, this this uh, uh, this uh, this needs to uh, be uh, brought to the public attention, uh, training, whether in Israel or at home, has done little to address the underlying problems in the U.S. police to prevent violent police killings like that of uh, Ty Nichols. Uh, we we don't see any, any improvement, and we see these five uh, officers uh, uh, former officers, but uh, Cop City, uh, uh, it's 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 just the militarization. It's like the it's like an army against the citizens of the United States, and uh, it, it, it's outrageous. It's a war against the the working class. Thank you, Sister Eldora. Brother Moses, talk to me. When we look at the training that they receive in Israel, seeing as the type of training that make them become irresponsible to their own citizens. Your response, Brother Moses? Certainly, you cannot get anything positive out of a fascist government. A fascist, apartheid, racist government of Israel cannot train anybody to do anything constructive. And this is impossible. And, you know, you can't get blood from a turnip, and you can't get decent policing practices out of Israel. It's just impossible. Thank you. And, Haki, let's hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, well, I, I concur. Uh, you know, uh, you know, when you stop and think about in terms of the, the, the policies uh, utilized by the Zionist uh, police, uh, for the uh, decimation of the uh, Palestinian masses, uh, it's, it's hard to conclude that what they're doing is is, is just and, and reasonable. Because it, of course it's not. Uh, you know, one of the things that when you talk about you know design is serving as an example in terms of policing, it seems to me on a very fundamental level uh, the sisters should have been offended just to even go even fly. To, to the to the Zionist state uh, the Zionist state of Israel 
and participate in training when it particularly when you look at the history and non sort of history in terms of abuses inflicted upon African people in America and then only to go to to Palestine and to see the same kind of injustice inflicted upon the Palestinian by Zionist forces, it seems to me on a very rudimentary level, it should have alienated or certainly should have irritated that sister in terms of as a police officer. But I guess it's better late than never. At least she eventually came to the realization, you know, that what she was doing was not only counterproductive, but it was certainly at odds in terms of what it is in terms of being, you know, a uh, uh, just police officer. Uh, so clearly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just. So it's good that she at least come to the realization after five years that what she was partaking was fundamentally at odds in terms of what is in the best interests of the community. So that was very, very good. Uh, but I think one also thing, uh, but you know, what is what is interesting, Brother Africa, is the fact that, you know, that this information surfaces. You know, if she wouldn't have indicted those five police officers, my guess mm-hmm. is this information never would have surfaced. Uh, so I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'm grateful for the fact that it, it did surface, because clearly, you know, uh, it need to be it need to be discussed. Uh, but the mere fact, you know, that is, I, I suspect it is using to 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 dis, to undermine uh, any potential uh, future work uh, in terms of reforming police there in, in Memphis, Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee uh, may well be the, the the reason why it was released in the first place. So I'm sort of have mixed emotions in terms of, you know, uh, conveying this information at this point in time. So, you know, I I don't think it's, everything was an up and up in terms of dissemination of information. I think there's some material motives. And, uh, you know, so we got to be very, very careful about alternative motives and not assume simply because we read it that somehow that uh, the the, uh, the 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 motives are pure and simple. And it's not always the case. Uh, Sometimes the alternative motives uh you're not in the interest of humanity, certainly not in the interest of African people as they fight for, you know, fundamental decency when it comes to interaction with police officers. But in any event, I'm just glad to see at least uh, she acknowledges at least uh, that, in fact, that participation with the Zionist police forces was fundamentally wrong. That I'm happy about. Thank you, Brother Haki. And our last article for today as relates to our theme today, the West has no respect for Africa and African people. Is titled A Very Abbreviated History of the Destruction of Black Neighborhoods. Uh, Google that title and take a look at this article and talk about the lack of respect for African neighborhoods. Sister Eleanor, lead us off on this particular article. What was the sense of theme from this article, um, Sister Eleanor, as you read it, that you would like to share with our listening audience? Well, um, I I would just like uh, to briefly uh, go back to the last article and the fact that uh, the police were actually visiting jails. They were uh, airports at checkpoints. And that uh, overall, what this training continued to reinforce in the United States is the idea that white people or the police have an inherent right to control black people uh, is is something that just is continuing to permeate the uh, the the entire police force and the entire nation and the behavior of the the kind of behavior that these 
people were experiencing uh, the human rights, the documented human rights abuses against Palestinians. And that, as, as Brother Moses said, this is not a, this training was uh, uh, um, a, a training to be human rights violators, uh, repressed, uh, to be violent, uh, watching the Israeli uh, military repress protests in the occupied West Bank and joining Israeli police patrols in East Jerusalem and along the militarized since the block in Gaza. This is the is is was is simply perpetuating and extending the militarization of the police in this country. Now, as far as neighborhoods go and what's happening and has happened in black neighborhoods, the reality is is that um, the, the, the destruction of the, 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 the black neighborhoods as something that has gone on now since 1949 with the development of the uh, urban renewal programs that uh, often used to be called Negro Removal Programs. And this article went back to May 13, 1985, when the police uh, fired tear gas, water cannons, and 10,000 rounds of ammunition into uh, 621 uh, Osage Avenue in West Philadelphia from a helicopter. Officers dropped onto the buildings of, of uh, 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 a bomb, I understand, the kind used during World War II in Vietnam inside the home were seven people and six children, members of the uh, environmentally friendly uh, black Liberation Group move, and only two people survived out of this 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 situation. And 621 surrounding buildings were destroyed, and uh, 250 people at least left homeless in what was a middle class, a black middle class neighborhood. The the houses that were built to replace those homes, um, according to the article. Um, And we know that because we've seen the change in construction in this country. We've seen the the poor construction, the fabricated brick facades. We don't don't see bricks being made in this country anymore, clay and mortar. We see this half-inch or quarter-inch facade we see these uh, drywall that is literally like compressed board rather than sheetrock or real plaster. So uh, this is uh, uh, and and they the houses built and replaced were uh, I quote tissue paper, shabby, and the construction the con- contractors tasked with replacing these homes. Uh, served jail time for misusing the rebuilding funds. 
and that by the mid uh by by the mid twenty tens tens whatever that is between twenty ten and now the city has bought up these homes that are now boarded up for a hundred and fifty dollars each and they a hundred and fifty thousand dollars each and they remain vacant. This type of brutalization is is not uncommon. Um, um, and and the destruction of, of black communities uh, has been something going on now for um, nearly 70 years or longer. And uh, this is something that people have to organize around. We see institutionalized housing as uh, a matter of practice. If you do not own your home, more than likely you're in some form of institutionalized housing. Uh, they call it senior housing. Uh, they call it uh, the the projects. Well, the projects were a better deal than what they have now. The privatization of of of, of housing, but. Uh, you see that uh, the the reality is uh, uh, adults uh, straddled with uh, homes they could not sell were awarded nine thousand each, uh, while their children contended with the possibility of lifetime intellectual problems and disability and health problems were given two thousand dollars because of the chemicals. And the fact that this these places were called death zones. Now, keep in mind, you know, they talked about the PCBs and the open landfills, um, you know, but we can look at Jackson, Mississippi. We can look at Flint, Michigan. We know about these death zones where vegetation can't grow. Uh, even young people contend with cancer and other illnesses. These are real reality. Local activists dying of lung cancer, brain cancer, uh, at just 16 years old. So um, these problems, uh, and and the fact that there were over 18,000 complaints, uh, only a, a few even a few thousand received uh, that 9,000 and the 2,000 for their kids. It it, it 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 was an outrage. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Haki, going to you. They gave you a long history of different African communities where the West and its own government destroyed them. What lessons do we take from that, and how do we use history as a tool to move forward? Well, Brother Africa, if only it was that easy to get people to understand, to make that correlation between things that happened in the past correlated to what's currently happening to African people now. If we could get people to understand that connection, man, we'd be, we'd be on our way in terms of real legitimate uh, liberation in society if we were to do that. That's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, often people have a disconnect for a lot of people in terms of historical events and what's currently going on. So all these events that this piece enumerated is very interesting 
because all of it is a response to injustice inflicted against African people. And it's ironic, you know, when you talk about these these injustices inflicted against African people, there was no real discussion in, in society in terms of this, this historical and systematic abuses inflicted on African people. Certainly, one could argue that racism may play a part in terms of resistance among many people in society to acknowledge the, the, the injustice inflicted by African people, and certainly that is a part of it. But I think a much larger part is the fact that people generally in the society are very ahistorical anyway. So I think the potential or propensity for people, you know, to reject that which is historical, I think is something that's grown into the American psychic. And so I think there's this automatic um, uh, inclination uh, to reject that which is historical. Even when in context we talk about, you know, when you talk about policies in the past, like the, 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 the great society, not the great societies, when you talk about um, – uh, Federal, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, you know, Great Society. When you, when you, when not, um, it's not Great Society. That was under Johnson. But when you think about Franklin D. Roosevelt in terms of all the kind of things he did, he, he attempted to do. Keep in mind that even in that context of trying to do good for the citizens, uh, African people and poor whites in in, in Appalachia were excluded from those programs. And so, therefore, even in that context, there's a limited historical understanding in terms of when we talk about. You know, uh, you know uh, the, the achievements of Roosevelt. When you think about, it in terms of the fact that so many people were eliminated from those programs that could have made their life so much better, there's little historical understanding in terms of how that transpired. Even today, people tend to think when you talk about uh, Roosevelt's achievements, people tend to think that everyone benefited from those programs. In fact, that's far from the truth. But again, people historically, in, I think American society, people are somewhat. Uh, um, find it difficult in terms of appreciating the past as related to what is currently going on. But when you talk about these fundamental injustices inflicted African people and you talk about <clears throat> the attack the attack on the move on the move group, that in themselves is very interesting because when you talk about the kind of technology that they use in terms of bombing the moves the move group, it's very interesting because the technology they use were not antiquated technology. That's recent technology. In fact some of the bombs, the satchel bombs that they dropped on the move group they used during Vietnam and World War II. So this is relatively recent technology, and you've got to ask yourself, to what extent that you hate your citizens that you're willing to, to drop relatively new technology on people simply because you disagree in terms of their lifestyle or their perception or their, his, or their philosophical underpinnings? So what, so what point would you do such a thing and not come to the conclusion that to even contemplate the idea of dropping bombs on citizens is something fundamentally wrong? But, of course, when it comes to African people, it doesn't matter. Uh, irrespective of the kind of atrocity committed, if it's committed against African people, it's always justifiable. And that is, that is interesting. Don't get me wrong. My position is that African people don't, ourselves, we have to come to realization in terms of these, 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 these historical events and relationship in terms of what's happening to us now. It's up to us, nobody else. I'm not one to advocate others going to come to the rescue and save African people. I don't come from that, and I don't believe in that. I think it's coming upon African people ourselves. If we don't come to the realization that we have to work to fundamentally change the historical events uh, that, that shapes today, if we don't come to that realization, the bottom line is that it's not going to happen. But finally, let me just conclude by saying this. But you know, when, I, when also when I think about in terms of uh, Tuskegee, uh, not Tuskegee, but I talk about Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the so-called Black Wall Street. When I think about the you know 300 uh, people that were killed and tens of millions of property that was destroyed. 
and the you know the 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 hundred and the hundred and hundred thousand people displaced you know in that in that city. You know when I when I think about that kind of treatment of African people and the fact that you got governments that are uh, uh, somehow uh, in opposition in terms of providing resources in terms of uh, you know um, reparations of sort to address these fundamental ills it it, it bothers me to no extent. Uh, whereas when you talk about reparations generally, often they say that well you know. Um, you uh, well you well you weren't around when it happened, so therefore reparations is, is irrelevant. It doesn't apply to you. Well, here it is: you have people who are still around and who were in fact affected by what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and still there's much discussion around you know uh, in terms of you know adequately compensating these people for what actually transpired. And so again, if it happens to African people, it's, it's not such an issue. And because it's not an issue. Nothing tends to be addressed. So it seems to me that if African people ourselves, if we don't address these issues, if we're not organized around these issues, seriously organized around these issues, the bottom line is that we can anticipate this kind of stuff happening again because history affords us a, a somewhat of a template. It affords us an opportunity to understand, uh, to understand the future. And so when things happen, we understand that it's often a historical precedent that existed prior to that happening. And so, therefore, in understanding historical precedent, then we can understand, we can predict what's going to happen in the future. So it's not magic. It's not mystical. It's, not, mm-hmm. it's nothing like that. It has to do, in fact, in terms of science. Human beings tend to do the same stupid things over and over again because human beings, by and large, don't understand, don't grasp the lessons of history. And it's that simple. So in any event, any event, Brother Africa, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, that with all these atrocities happening to African people, we have to ask ourselves as African people, given all the atrocities that we have to contend with on a daily basis, um, given that reality, what, at what point do we come to realization, you know, that we have to not only educate our children, make sure they understand clearly what's going on, but to create those institutions in the, in the cities or wherever we are, in terms of preparing for the, in the inevitable. So when I talk about the inevitable, we, let's be clear. When we talk about the deconstruction of capitalism, when we talk about capitalism decline, let's be very, very clear on something. As corporations become more and more powerful, uh, their, their regard for human life becomes less and less an issue. They don't care about that. Their thing is about profitability. It's about making money. They don't care how many people they have to kill, how many people die. They don't care about any of that stuff. We have to be intimately concerned about what goes on in the potential in terms of corporate abuse, in terms of impact and negatively on the lives of African people. Uh, it's up to us. If we don't do it, it won't get done. And, uh, and as simple as that, and I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Uh, thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, talk to me. Your response to the history of destruction of African neighborhoods. Clearly, it's indication that um, the West has no respect for African African people. No thoughts on the destruction of African neighborhoods, Brother Moses. Are you with me, Brother Moses? Will I wait for Brother Moses, Brother Anthony? Give us your thoughts on it. I okay. Uh, uh... I concur with the points that were made by uh, Eleanor and uh, Haki. I would add that this has been going on 
at least 200 years, according to article, uh, because they point out in 1855, New, New, in New York's Seneca Village was a largely black settlement with around 225 members. The upper Manhattan community included an economic mix of people who lived in everything from shanties to two-story homes. They owned livestock and were shielded from the racism in more developed parts of the city. Some Africans were owned property, which afforded them the right to vote. Ten of the 100 eligible black voters in the entire state in 1845 were residents of Seneca Village. By 1857, the community was gone. Its land required through eminent domain to create Central Park. And also, uh, and uh, also, um, uh, let's see, in 1898, uh, a European uh, mob stormed uh, the majority African and racially integrated city of Wilmington, North Carolina, burned the office of um, of an African newspaper, and then marauded through the streets, killing as many as 100. African residents. The mayhem was all part of a carefully planned effort to overthrow the local, local government, which included black aldermen and other officials and civil servants. It still stands as the only successful coup in U.S. history. Black residents retreated into the swamps and woods on the outskirts of town to escape the white mob. Around 2,000 left for good leaving the city majority white. So, uh, you know, so this has been going on for at least 200 years, according to this article. And uh, the same, similar tactics are used to this day. Uh, well, the eminent domain in particular, uh, you know, is used to this day to uh, displace Africans from their community. And the danger is that if we don't learn this history, uh, the uh, the incidents get repeated. And in order to avoid that, is it is critically important that we teach this history to our youth. And that is why uh, you know there's so much opposition to African history being taught in the schools to this day because uh they don't want us to know that the, what what happened a couple of hundred years ago because once you understand that history then you'll understand there's a pattern and you'll learn how to defeat that so i think this is critically important that we understand that this that 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 the destruction of African neighborhoods has been going on for centuries. Of course, I will take you, Brother Anthony, to all our panelists tonight. I think that we try to give you some concrete examples in history of how one, the West has no respect for Africa, nor Jew. And African people. Two, it's another indication that you would never could be American. And three, it's on the truth will set you free. So we thought to bring 
speaking truth to power, to the powerful and the powerless. And we'd like for you to um, heed the word. Until next time, what we're going to do, take a quick break. And when we come back, we ask each one of our panelists to us their final thoughts. This is Brother Africa, and this is Africa on the Moon.
Everyone is talking about criminals. Everybody talking about crime, but you tell us who are the criminals. Who are the criminals? We too don't want peace. We want equal right and justice. With that, we'll bring about peace. We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. And our closing thoughts for tonight, which is the 19th day of February, 2023. Our theme is the West has no respect for Africa and African people. That's right. We're talking about you. We're trying to provide you with information so you can use it as a tool for liberation. And on that note, Brother Africa, we'll go back to his panelists and analysts, and we will ask each one of them to give us our final thoughts for tonight. And let's see if we still got Brother Moses with us. Brother Moses, are you still there? Yes, Brother Moses is here. Um, I speak the word, speak the word, speak the word, brother. The mic is yours. It's been an interesting show. Uh, Certainly, you know, the U.S. has no love for black people at all. We were brought here as slaves. We've been treated as slaves. We've been second-class citizens, and we are demanding our rights uh, because we are historically constituted community here in the in on this land and we have struggled and earned our freedom and built up this land, this wealth and we deserve all here and there, all our rights here and now. And uh certainly, you know, we we demand this and we we have the historical and dialectical materialists, we know our rights. Uh, we're not idealistic, but we 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 blood, sweat, and tears historically uh, on this land, and uh, and it's time for us to reap the rewards of our labor. This is our quest. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we go to Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts for tonight, Sister Eleanor. Well, it's been a wonderful show, and Brother Anthony and uh, Brother Haki and Brother Moses really put a lot of insight, but we need to realize that, uh, you know, over-policing, massive incarceration, educational deprivation, uh, economic starvation, inadequate housing, environmental injustice, polluted water, polluted air, um, using our homes and our lands as dumping grounds, putting freeways through the middle of our main streets. Brother Anthony is right. It's been going on 200 years. And now we're at a point where housing is institutionalized. Food has even been institutionalized. We're depending on your class and economic state. The state knows just what you're eating because it's issuing it to you in boxes, in cans, no fresh vegetables, no fresh food. This is an outrage, a lack of health care so that you are in hospice, not because there's nothing that can be done, but there's nothing that will be done for you under your insurance plan. 
You have to go without hearing, without basic things that are accessible through the healthcare uh, industry and this industrial uh, prison complex. You know, the first year of the pandemic, um, deaths went up 50% in the U.S. prisons. And that's something that, you know, we didn't know. It wasn't publicized. All these persons incarcerated and then losing their life. Who's responsible for those murders? So I'd just like to thank you for uh, this informative, uh, very, very helpful show. Thank you, Brother Haki, Brother Anthony, Brother Africa, and Brother Moses. And I look forward to speaking with you all next week. And we must continue the fight for the people in Jackson, Mississippi, Flint, Michigan, who can't even drink a glass of water from their faucets. This 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 atrocity is outrageous. So with that in mind I just wanna say thank you. Uh it's it's been a fantastic show and I look forward to meeting with you all again and Black History Month is a wonderful thing. Carter G. Woodson did something for not only the our community but for the United States and the world to make this history known. Thank you. Good night. Good night, Cesar Noah. We thank you. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is the only solution to the uh, to the lack of respect for African African people is for Africans to get organized and to achieve Pan Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Uh, this enemy is too big uh, for us to fight alone or individually or even in our pr- present individual nation states. We must have unity and we must be organized and we must teach each other our history. Pan-Africanism is the ultimate solution to the problems that face Africans worldwide, at home and in the diaspora. Uh, To learn more about the All-African People's Revolutionary Party and to learn more about Pan-Africanism, please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org or call us at 202-246-4896. We can also be reached via email at info at a-aprp-gc.org. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Haki, you'll find the thoughts for tonight. Well, you know, Brother Africa, you know, um, know, we, we try to convey the seriousness Upon which you know, uh, you know, we, we we must struggle, you know, in the society. Uh, one of the things 
when you talk about the growing and growing um, power of corporations, we have to understand this precisely. Earlier, when I talked about bail-ins, I think it's important to understand that anytime you have a situation where banks can unilaterally take your money um, to fill up, you know, is is any deficits it may have, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's often fundamentally, uh, fundamentally, uh, fundamentally a, a problem there. Uh, one of the things is that when anytime you say that uh, one entity has a right to take what doesn't legally belong to it and use it for its benefit, then it's saying that the lives of people don't matter. I think we we should think about that a little while. You know, so when we talk about billions, and it's just not happening in the states; it's happening throughout the world. And the mere fact that any institution is empowered to do whatever it wants, whenever it wants, even to the demise of, of, of human beings, it's certainly a system in which, you know, we, we should be very, very clear uh, of the potential dangers um, that lies within the context of that system. Uh, I think that when we talk about bail-ins, we talk about banks and oil men of power, now one of the things interesting is that historically, you know, one of the things capitalists always say is that they, they have a very difficult problem philosophically with centralized government. In other words, for governments that are centrally controlled, uh, say for like China, uh, they say that, well, a centralized government is always a problem. Well, ironically, when you look in terms of American capitalist society, it's centrally controlled, but it's centrally controlled by banks. And because banks uh, are in central, centrally control the economy, then what it means is that those things that people need, food, shelter, clothing, um, uh, education, all those things that are important to human beings in terms of their aspirations. Banks are not banks' uh, uh, objectives are not not to further those further those aims. Banks' objectives is to 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 to, to profit. So how does banks profit? Well, profit from taking you and my money, and there's nothing that you can do about it. So if it says that we have no power, then you know as as people, that banks have all the power. Then what does that mean in terms of your life or my life? What does that fundamentally mean? And so when we talk about the power of banking. We can't dismiss the future in terms of digital currency. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, one of the things that you know, we're given capitalism in this decline, you know, uh, it means that people don't have access to money. If people don't have access to money, then it means that the government is starved for revenues. Well, the, the government solution to that is very, very simple. What they're going to do is digitize money. If they digitize money. It doesn't matter. Whatever money you have access to, whether it be retirement, Social Security, or whatever it may be, the government simply can take it. It's digitized. Ain't nothing you can do about that. The question, when they get to that point, the question is, what are you and I going to do about that? And see, this is very serious stuff. And, and, it, all, and, and, and it all speaks to the precarious nature of, of people in the society. We talk about a capitalist society that doesn't fundamentally have the interests of the people at heart. And because it doesn't have the fundamental interests of people at heart, what it does to people is really not really not important, uh, you know. So, this is again indicative in terms of this whole concept in terms of bail-in and the utilization eventually of digital money in terms of as it disempowers, you know, people, you know, throughout the world, uh, you know. And finally, let me just say this in terms just in terms of power, uh, corporate power, you know, I'm mindful of the case of Stephen Dunley, Dun Dunzinger. Uh, Stephen Dunzinger, for those who don't know. Sue Chevron for $1.9 trillion for the destruction in the Amazon. Uh, he was successful. But, of course, the, the corporations that powered their well went to a certain corrupt uh, court official, told him to, listen, we're going to pursue uh, civil charges under the RICO statutes because this guy is corrupt and what he did, you know, was criminal. 
Of course, the, the judge went along with that, and as a consequence, not only did they cancel that fine of one point nine billion dollars that that uh, that uh, the the Amazon won against Chevron, but it went it, it took uh, Stephen Dunlinger to court to prove that somehow that he was an ep, somehow he was criminal, somehow that uh, he was responsible, you know, you know, for some type of criminality in terms of the the, the judges a ruling uh, in Peru in terms of. You know, paying that one point nine trillion dollars, you know, as a result of destroying the uh, Amazon by, by literally um, eighty, eighty to hundred tons of, of um, PCPs, uh, very uh, carcinogenic uh, substances, being spread throughout 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 the Amazon region, which means that people didn't have access to clean water uh, or clean food because it was all contaminated. And so the one point nine trillion dollars was certainly justified in terms of destruction imposed by Chevron. But Chevron being a corporation was able to liquidate all of that and to essentially get away with this criminality. And Steve Dunleavy ended up doing, I think, six months in prison for something that was essentially a, a, a setup, you know, by Chevron and a corrupt and a corrupt court uh judge uh who 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 wanted to set an example to Steve Dunleavy and to other progressives around the world that any time you take on corporations, there's a price to pay. So if we don't fundamentally understand, you know, the power of corporations and what it means to our lives, then, you know, I think we're in deep, deep trouble. We have to fundamentally understand the power of corporations and what it means to your life, my life, the lives of our children. We have to fundamentally understand that. And as always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. I think it's key. I mean, one of the things, when you start talking about the changes that are taking place in society, None of these changes, whether it be economic, political, or social, none of these changes that are taking place are good for people. And because they're not good for people, uh, it, it, it doesn't bode well for the aspirations of people. And because it doesn't bode well for the aspirations of people, then certainly when we start talking about fundamental injustices, when we talk about fundamental suffering, when we talk about fundamental inaccessibility to food and shelter, then we understand that we talk about a system that fundamentally don't give a damn that these that these things are not forthcoming. If these things are not forthcoming, the question is, what are we going to do to buy those things we as a people need in terms of our survival? Think about that. Have a good night, and I'll see you next week. All right, peace. Good night, Brother Haki, to our panelists, to our listening audience, audience and supporters. We are calling out for your help and support. We want you to email us where you can get a copy of this program and others, and we want you to send them to your listener, to your people. Next six months, we want to increase our listenership to at least 100,000 people, and we can do this with your help. Will you please help us and spread the word? So email AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. As well as, if you'd like to support this program and make a donation, you can do that by doing a, um, by making a, um, What's the word for it? Not Cassie Apple. What's the other item that people make donations to? Um, we'll come back next program and remind you. Can't think of right now. Anyway, we have opened up a mechanism on how you can support this program. The Nature's Program. Remember, we come on every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And what we want to do is speak truth to power as well as speak truth to the powerless. You want to give me information, so it becomes relevant. You can use it as a tool to make life better for you, your people, and for all of humanity. And like always, 
We want to always strive to go forward apples by apples never. And we too come and tell you, if you want Africa African people to be free, fight the Pan-Africanism. The total liberation and unification of Africa and the scientific socialism. That's the road of liberation that we're traveling down. Until next time, we'll see you next week, same time, same place. This has been The West Has No Respect for Africa and African People. We leave you with some good sounds of liberation. We thank you. This has been Africa on the Move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, we 
became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. And made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah.
for us. Nobody can be against us. If that is for my people, I don't know who can fight, who can fight to be my enemy. My Africa wants to be free.
you shout with confidence as you praise the Lord And you talk about this God you know so well You talk of Armageddon and your final victory When all the evil forces go to hell Well, you just hope you've chosen wisely on the right side of the Lord And when you die, your conscience, it is clear You'd best hope your atom bombs are better than the sword At the time when your reckoning is here I don't think Jesus would send gunships into Bethlehem Or jets to raise the towns of Timorese I don't think Jesus would lend money to dictators Or drive those SUVs I don't think Jesus would ever have dropped A single ounce of napalm Who would Jesus bomb? Jesus bond. Who would Jesus bond? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, what's up, man? Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can conquer hate. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love and kiss here today. Pick it light and pick it fast. Don't punish me with brutality. Talk to me so you can see. Talk to me, you can't. 
can't 